And welcome to yet another episode of the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Oh, nice and deep. Oh, yeah. Oh, bursting right through the wall. <laughs> jug of Kool-Aid. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's right. We're coming at you. Recorded. And uh, hopefully you are here for some topic because it's Topic Tuesday. I'm Randy. Yeah, I'm Mike. And yep. we apologize for the slight delay. That's purely on me. A hefty, hefty work schedule of late. So no worries. Uh, this will not be a common occurrence. Oh, yeah, well, better late than never, or yeah. as I like to say, day late and a dollar short. And we more than make up for it in terms of quality topic. Not opening the kimono yet, just yeah. saying it's it's a good one. Yeah, and, you know, you probably already read the header, so you've been warned. All right, so you're here to listen to us rant on about stuff, so before we get into that, we've had a couple call-ins, and first... Uh, is Lyrian. Oh, Lyrian. How yeah. wonderful. Yeah, she's uh, got a little tidbit of our last episode, Gaming is Learning. So take it away, Lyrian. Hi, guys. It's Lyrian. I absolutely loved your Gaming is Learning episode. That was really great. And I have to say I laughed out loud because my brother was one of those people who wore Jordache jeans and he would lay down on the bed and take a pair of pliers and zip them up. Yeah, they were that tight. I remember thinking, are you insane? Like, I just have never been the kind of person who would suffer discomfort for beauty's sake. I just have always found that ridiculous. So, I don't know, maybe it's a good thing I had a brother like that. <laughs> You know, to this day, he's still vain enough that he will not leave the house if his hair is not perfectly feathered. He still wears his hair feathered. When we were in school, it feathered in the back and met in the middle because I did his hair every morning before school. I know, isn't that hilarious? All right, thanks, guys. All right, folks, that was Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. And, uh, wow, okay, Jordache jeans and feathered hair. Well, hello, 80s. Yeah, look, and I'm not even going to pick on him for it, because uh, who among us has not lived through some, you know, serious uh, changes of fashion do's and don'ts over the last uh, uh, 40 years? It, it, things have changed quite dramatically. There is still blurry photographic evidence out there of, of me in the mid-70s with uh, a mixture of both plaid and stripes. Uh, well, that was a band picture. We couldn't help that. Yeah, that I was not in charge of that. Uh, that was our outdated band uniforms. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could not be helped. Not but, a rock band, but a school band. Ah, uh, the fumes of Aquanet still bring back memories and flashbacks from the 1980s. Hey, I used to use Dippity doing the hair. Ah, something to get that perma wind tunnel tested hairdo. Yeah, that spiked hair after <laughs> I uh, had to shave my uh, mohawk off. Oh, did your granddad not not generally approve? No, no, that was the one thing that uh, just did not fly in that house. But that was our—he was pretty good natured about it. He just made me shave it off with a, a wink and a nod that uh, you know you, you like getting an allowance, huh? You like that allowance money? Well, allowance money or mohawk? Okay, I. But, you know, the fact that I was able to walk in with it, that was pretty funny. Anyway, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've, we've, we've all had questionable moments, but I'm so glad you enjoyed the episode. Yeah, gaming is learning. It's uh, not been one of our top trenders because, you know, you put learning on something and 
people like, oh, I already know everything. But hey, no, you're always the, learning every day. No, it's the clarion call that this this might be more of a research oriented uh, conversation, less of a uh, you know uh, traditional old school gaming centric conversation. Right. Uh, so we're literally turning the dial the other way, just to let the kimono flutter a little bit. There. Ah. Yeah, but thanks a lot, Learn, and glad you enjoyed it. Keep listening and keep those calls coming in. We love what you do and uh, love listening to your podcast, so keep up the good work. All right, and now we're going to turn to Jason from RPG Nerds Variety Cast, and he's going to give us some of his thoughts on our last episode. So take it away, Jason. Hey, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Great episode on gaming is learning. Um, definitely gaming and comic books. I, maybe comic books a little more helped with my vocabulary. I had some speech issues as a kid. And then, you know, so but comic books, especially Marvel comics, you know, using the bigger terms. And then D&D as well. You know, I started off with the Mincer Basic set, which wasn't as bad as first edition, but I got into first edition pretty quick. But all that did help. And... And I agree with you on that part of it. And, you know, it's funny. My mom bought me the red box and all that to get me to read more and do more and interact more with other people. So she recognized the importance of all that. And um, gaming definitely helped me along that path. So great episode. Enjoyed it. We'll talk to you later. Here, Maddie, say goodbye. Bye. All right. And, uh, hey, thanks, for Maddie. Uh, nice hearing from you. Um yeah, Jason excels here, man. Uh, comic books definitely do have their place in learning. I, too, had a uh, reading developmental problem early on in uh, life, but uh, being dyslexic didn't uh, hurt, but it certainly wasn't helping, and comic books and others did help me get uh, back on track, uh, catch up real quick in my reading comprehension. Soon I was surpassing most of my peers, so there's a lot uh, to say for different non-traditional sources of learning and the ability to get excited about reading and comic books as well as gaming you know for an early developmental age man that's just that's mother's milk right there for me i mean you're you're preaching right up uh my alley there oh uh, for my part uh it was less about the literacy and the language comprehension uh, I really had that in the bag from a very early age, but the social interaction skills, I just really did not have that listed as one of my strong suits. In fact, quite the opposite. <laughs> Why, I'm downright gregarious by comparison to yesteryear. Yeah. Uh, my Even in the middle of the satanic panic, uh, my family was surprisingly pretty open-minded uh, mostly because they noticed right out of the gate, uh, literally from the get-go, there was this huge leap forward in my willingness and ability to socialize, uh, which was admittedly stunted at the time. So uh, Dungeons & Dragons got a bit of a pass, uh, all things considered, because they were like, well, you know, I mean, he's not running around in black robes sacrificing goats, but he is finally talking to people without punching them. Yeah. So uh, we're seeing nothing but like a forward positive uh, gain here. So, yeah, it really did. With Gaming a few, has other learning. than a few uh, um, arm wrestling and uh, wrestling move demonstrations. Oh, yeah, the old sparring back in the day. Yeah. Uh, 
with uh, yeah. Other than that, as your as a physical outline, I I think uh, that was the only time that uh, any <laughs> time you took a swing at anybody. Oh sure, uh, because I suddenly had a crowd of people I liked. Yeah, uh. and uh, but yeah, gaming has uh, definitely impacted a lot of people's lives to the positive, and we're never glad. never underestimate the value of suddenly having a bunch of people whose opinion actually matters to you. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, we're glad to hear from you, Jason. So, uh, Nerds RPG Variety Cast, check it out. Wear it out, abuse it. It's well worth listening to. So, uh, we're going to turn to our topic. We have a lot to uh, get started on, so we're just going to go right into paying the bills. But remember, you can expect no less than... Oh, well, yeah. Expect no less from the out-of-work Oompa band of gaming podcasts. Did you have steady work to begin with as an oompa band to begin with? I mean, an accordion and a tuba, I mean, what? Well, I like it because it, it implies a certain level of talent, which may not necessarily be put to the greatest of causes. Uh, you know, like there's some modicum of talent there. Uh, but It's, it's a three-piece tuba band. Not, not really being fully realized, no. Uh, All right. All I right. like them when they sting a little. <laughs> All right, so we're going to turn it over, uh, pay the bills, and we'll be right back after these messages. Messages, Stick around. <coughs> all right, and we're back, so thanks for sticking around for that. Thanks for all the call-ins, and of course, you can always get all of us on the crap. Just always use that thing, download it, even if it's just to talk to us. We love hearing from you. Oh, absolutely. So tonight, topic, it's Topic Tuesday. What are we talking about? It's actually Wednesday, but hey, it's Tuesday for as far as we're concerned. because Spiritually, we're just... it's Tuesday. That's right, Tuesday. So, tonight we're going to do a old school retrospective of WG4, the Forgotten Temple of Thrizden. Time to climb into the Wayback Machine with Mr. Beebody and go on a magical adventure back, back in time to, what was that, 1982? Right? Oh, my goodness. Ouch. Right in my Junior high years. Yeah. Just random acne and awkwardness in every direction. All right, so uh, <laughs> I'm going to leave some of the uh, comments about and reviews from other people out. This module has, um, overall, it's had a very good um, pedigree. I mean, it is written by Gygax after his uh, long overdue absence in TSR. He came back with a bang, uh, Lost Cabins of Soja Camps. Uh, there is no WG-1, 2, or 3, just so you know. Uh, there are no World of Greyhawk modules before this. Why this was called WG-4 was kind of, I guess, as a sequel to Lost Cabins of Soja Camp, which was S4, but, you know, go figure. Um, yeah, somewhere in the planning stages there, there were other ideas afoot that just didn't manifest. So it wound up not quite making linear sense uh, the way some of the other module listings and uh, headers did. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, this same time period as Lost Caverns of Zacanth coming right on the heels of that, uh, which you know the material contained herein is uh, it references directly the Lost Caverns of Zacanth. Yeah, it's, it's a sequel, and uh, the Forgotten Temple of Thrazduin has been ranked twenty third of the greatest Dungeons and Dragons adventures of all time by Dungeon Magazine back in two thousand and four. Uh, just to let you know, there were thirty, uh, so it was at the lower end of that spectrum, but it was uh, important, and we'll, I'll explain that as we go through. But first of all, uh, the cover: uh, Lawrence Schick, in his book uh, Heroic Worlds, 
said the modules cover is the worst cover of any TSR AD&D module. A morass of colored blobs. And if you... This is an obscure module for some because it's very heavily laden in the world of Greyhawk, which Lost Caverns of Sacanth, that was also the case. It was very explicitly written for World of Greyhawk, but yet still had that kind of implicit, like, hey, you could be in your world at any place like this. Just ignore oh, the yeah. things in here and just move on. Look, yeah, like White Plume Mountain and any number of others, it was designed to be used anywhere. And easily transferred. But it did make a lot of use of World of Greyhawk stuff, being in the Yatil Mountains with Kedish uh, incursions. It's at a border area. You get various peoples from all around there, including some wild hill folk and all that. But, uh, yeah, starting out of the gate, uh, it's worth mentioning that, you know, this particular module, much like Lost Caverns of Sacanth, includes a lengthy section of material for adventures outside of the Forgotten Temple for which it is named. Uh, it, it, it's got a wilderness crawl, hex crawl zone uh, with quite a bit going on in it. A lot of, lot of exciting turf there, but we'll hit that in just a moment. Yeah, this module, uh, the mauve or lavender colored cover doesn't really, un is undertoned, and I think Lawrence Schick is a little out of his bailiwick on this one because once you understand what the module is about, the cover makes perfect sense. But for some, you know, it was a little bit of a turnoff. It does uh, depict uh, Thrizden. So we're going to get right into the lore. Thrizden is a god that was introduced first here. It was kind of hinted at in uh, the caverns of the hill giant. Or, well, there was a place in the hill giant setting, a weird ice cave in the frost giants, glacial rift, and... Underneath the halls of the Fire Giant King, there was this weird Elder Elemental God thing. And this, you <laughs> and know, they did amorphous... not go into great detail about it there. Oh. Yeah, other than a milky, uh, strange eye would appear and, you know, then tentacles would come out and devour somebody. This was a new concept. Uh, Thrasden is a, the Chained God. He has been removed. He was probably, uh, of all the things that happened in the early days of D&D, when uh, Gary Gygax came back to the company and started writing, he cleared out a lot of uh, back inventory wanting to get it right back into the meat of writing modules. This is a unique one, and it's uh, often overlooked because it's very centrifugally written for Greyhawk. Um, not much is made about how to translate this outside of the scope, where Sakan's kind of had a little bit more openness about it. But nonetheless... Tearing right into it, um, it goes right after uh, the Lost Caverns of Sacanth that you're being fed and greeted by, unhosted by, the gnomes of Gnome Vale. It, you know, you could name it something else, I suppose. <laughs> but, you know, there you go. That It was just called the Gnome Vale, and the Gnome King has been beset by Norkers. Gnome Chomsky. Yeah, so this is the big thing right here, is right off the bat, this module also made a lot of use of monsters right out of the Fiend Folio. Yes, uh, uh, this was also very... worth mentioning. Yeah, there are uh, another reason that this is unique and beloved to us is that this was also an era where the expansions on first edition, the you know, second monster manual, uh, and the Unearthed Arcana were in the works. These were products that were in the pipeline, and Forgotten Temple of Thrizdun, along with Lost Caverns of Sacanth, were precursors. There, a lot of new material was creeping in uh, into gameplay via these modules. And this one, much like Lost Caverns of Sacanth, features a number of things that players had never encountered before. 
Uh, and since this arrived before, you know, th this module went up for publication before the big releases of these new handbooks. Well, Beanfolio had been out for about a well, year or two. Beanfolio had. Yeah, and so it used Manual a lot of... Two had not. Right, and this used a lot of material out of uh, the Beanfolio. It's a lot of uh, monsters like the Norkers. And so, you know, you have to go through a wilderness trek, and the scope of this is pretty good. You can have everything from meeting the uh, bird folk, the Arakura. Oh, Arakura, excuse uh, me. Arakura. Arakura, yeah. And there are some problems with Grippins. Uh, there's the Valley of Lakrota. Um, there's Ooh, even in the Led eight. by a Lamia. Yeah. Which, you know, there's a danger level encounter, so you do want some, you know, modestly strong characters for this. And uh, uh, several groups of orcs, 131 orcs, that are divided out into three groups that uh, can be encountered, as well as a very well-stacked-up lair where you can fight them all, if you so choose. So, that's a thing. Oh! You know, it was however you wanted to pre uh, present it. Yeah, an entire tribe of orcs. Uh, which, you know, honestly... Uh, not the worst thing higher level players have encountered. I, yeah, right, but again, it's kind of that it was set up so that uh, there was ones that were patrolling, there was ones only appearing in the lair, and then there was a body of orcs that were more or less uh, could be encountered anywhere depending on how the players were attacking them. And, of course, in here is one of the big things that is the strength of Gygax's uh, wargaming background. He presents these in with tactics laid out in groups that will provide a formidable challenge. And also the spread of the module itself is for levels 5 to 10, with having more players towards the lower end of the spectrum, like up to 12 of characters levels 5 oh, through 6. My inner DM flinches at the notion of a dozen players because I've done it. With fewer players uh, being is, up to the high levels. Yeah, it is no cakewalk. But uh, a half a dozen 10th uh, level characters would be a formidable force that could handle pretty much uh, anything in this module assuming they use their brains. But we'll get to that. Yeah, and also right off the bat, uh, it talks about that, you know, this module is a little different than others and how to couch some expectations could have uh, improved it a little bit. But nonetheless, uh, the Pagatan Temple of Theresden is encountered finally when the Norkers are tracked back to their lair and it's found that they are being led by a fearsome mountain giant. And uh, the mountain giant, of course, having the ability to summon monsters over and over and uh, so this provides a ready access source of reinforcements again and again, including gnolls, ogres, and some trolls. Now, by someone, we don't mean that he magically conjures them, all right? It's just that the mountain giant has built a significant stronghold. No, that's their power. They summon monsters. They do? Yes. Yeah. The I... mountain giant can they uh, pull others in. So. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, that's right out of the people there. Uh, but, you know, he has a couple hill giants at his disposal, plus some Anis and others. But the upper ruins are presented from an overview. And here's where you get to use all the black crayons. You know, you can use your nightmare <laughs> black, your gothic black, your chaos black, your <laughs> midnight black. Because your... the whole... Well, inner... I mean, they'll do until they make something darker. Right. And, yeah, the black is black of the blackest crayons are finally used at the end. But yes, uh, you're going to have a lot of fun uh, describing the black dreary corridors, and there's no light coming in. And that's your first clue to present to the player characters that they're entering a place that's 
much more ancient than just a uh, collection of, of hidey holes for these monsters to get into. Yeah, they're basically occupying a space uh, that has a history prior to their own. Right. And that was once fashioned by, you know, well, uh, forces considerably older and more powerful than you know current human habitation. Right, and so as you get into this uh, complex deeper and deeper, it becomes apparent that obviously these creatures didn't build this place. They're just, you know, kind of hanging out, squatting here right now. But whoever built it went to a lot of trouble, and there's odd shapes and formations and statues uh, littered throughout. Yeah, this is Gygax literally uh, putting his little spin on the Shathonic or, you know, Shathulu-type mythos. Yeah, well, I want to uh, save that one for later. Because... We're not going to expand on that until a little later. But, right. But, you know, this is your first warning shot across the starboard bow. Yeah, so uh, adept players will start picking up like, hey, these are Norkers and Gnolls, Trolls and Ogres and Hill Giants. They're not known for their great building skills. And it's pretty apparent that they're just kind of cohabitating here with each other under the guise of this, uh, or leadership of this mountain giant, Grug the Clever. And he is clever. And as you bite your way through, uh, eventually you get deeper and deeper into the complex, going to the sub-temple and then to a dungeon level, full-on, where it starts to get creepy. And now shades of lavender and purple start appearing in the stonework. And I, I do want to mention that there's a tough transition period here where... The hidden areas are fairly hard to locate unless the players are well-skilled and are paying attention and are on their A-game looking for hidden entrances. Right. Uh, And this was an objection that some people had to the module, that it was too hard to find that area. I say let the chips fall where they may. You know, players who are just being sloppy like, yeah, we're not even trying. They don't deserve to find it. Right, and so obviously during this time to eliminate the Norkers and their giant leader, you're probably not going to have your players investigating as thoroughly because you're going to be pressed for attack because Grug does just not sit there and wait passively. Yes. He's an active participant, and this again is kind of one of the bitebacks that came from Lost Cabins of Sojacanth that, Sojacanth is that it had kind of a zoo dungeon feel, like they're just kind of waiting around, you know, something's going to happen, and then it does. Well, here's now uh, a complex full of well-led and cunning resourceful monsters using everything at their disposal, including boulder traps, rolling things downhill when the adventurers come up the way, using uh, fire and acid and other nasty tricks and traps to keep the party at bay until they can overwhelm them through sheer numbers. Yeah, at, also worth mentioning here is this is a terrific example of a group of opponents that are expected to be played intelligently. They are not just wild, random, screaming, charging uh, cannon fodder. They expect to bleed the party as much as they can uh, before committing. You know, the, the objective is to win. And since that probably can't easily be done... Uh, with a, you know, they'll never see a frontal assault coming. No, no, nothing that easy. Uh, Gygax pretty much put together a terrific tactical uh, outline for DMs to follow, displaying how these creatures could work in concert uh, and make the best use of knowing the terrain inside that temple. 
and how to use that space to their greatest personal advantage, uh, extracting as many hit points from the party as possible before, finally, uh, hopefully, the, the party prevails. But not as a cakewalk. Right, and so this first part is presented as a standard uh, bash and loot dungeon crawl. Yeah. But the weird architecture, the strange kind of stonework that there's something of a plan here may entice players to investigate further. And clever players, and especially diligent players, will start to pick up some clues and begin to look around. Now, as Mike said that earlier, that yeah, that the whole part kind of hinges on finding some certain places, very specifically located and well hidden. There are no direct clues, there are no pointing arrows or flashing lights. Secret door this way. No quest uh, marker going off over top of this one. It is just old school D&D where you don't know. Somebody and better be maybe just the players there. will just, you know, assume that they've defeated the monsters and move on. I, and not to say that uh, Groog's treasure is, uh, you know, a pittance. There's oh, yeah. good loot to be gotten outside the temple in some of the out, outer encounters. And then inside the temple, uh, Groog's personal stash is, is pretty respectable. There's some nifty little magical items here and there. But you've got to be asking yourself at that point, if you're on your toes, wow, is this all there is? You know, did we just come here to punch a giant in the snout? Uh, is there anything else going on here? Because there's all these weird little clues littered throughout, both right. in the architecture and in a number of objects you find. And the strange statuary, the four statues representing the four basic classes, fighter, uh, magic user, cleric, and rogue assassin um, are present. So that should, should start to give players some idea that there's something else here. And maybe it'll entice players to look. And that's the hidden layer. That's the kind of... I don't want to say genius, but that's the kind of uniqueness of this module. Because genius is going a little far. I mean, we are dealing with a guy that's pretty well read. But here's where it started to make its turn into weird tales. Then you begin to learn, the Dungeon Master, of course, knows, by reading the intro, that this evil god, Thresden, was so vile and hated by almost all the gods, even gods of other evil deities, that they bound him away by means that are no longer understood or perhaps available and he was bound and chained away into an alternate place that none of his priesthood could detect anything from and after years of questing searching and powerful magic they were able to ascertain that in this area laid where the key to freeing that thrasden or so they thought they built a great temple here and in secret worshippers and followers from various areas came here to pay homage and their respects they're trying to bring him back. But nothing could be ascertained, and nothing was done, and so the rituals became dry and rather meaningless. And they, they just they failed to bring the sexy back. And Well, I wouldn't call Thresden sexy, but no. here's where it takes the turn into the weird tales, where you were talking about the Cthulhu mythos. James Jacobs uh, wrote about in his uh, look at Lovecrafting influence in Dungeons & Dragons, Shadow Over D&D. In Dragon Magazine, he wrote that uh, the Temple of Thrasduin obviously owes its pedigree to Lovecraft because in it it is a baseless entity. Usually, tentacles or serpents are, are always depicted in there, and that he has this strange, malevolent purple or lavender associated with him, which you wouldn't normally associate, but it was a sickening hue. 
It was not a natural color. It yeah. always seemed to be out of that one shade too light or too dark to be discerned. Thus implying, like almost like Hestuar from uh, uh, Ambrose Bierce or Raymond Chambler's and H.P. Lovecraft, the king in yellow was this mystical figure that you could only get glimpses of. You could never truly define it. He was always at the periphery. And so it was with Thrizden. And he was bound away. So the priesthood and their followers in their boredom and frustration, began to steal from the temple. And eventually the religion was forgotten, and they went their various ways, with the last priest being entombed in the lower levels and is now haunting the area as a coffer corpse. <coughs> <laughs> a smoker coffer corpse. Yeah. <coughs> Can I borrow a light? <coughs> but, you know, Thrizdun was the destruction of all that is. And it does come back that he's almost like one of the great old ones from the Lovecraftian tales. And so to find out these clues, you have to find the underlevels, which, you know, from the dungeon, you have to find the secret door, collect these items, and go into a place that with 333 uh, rungs descending down a 330-foot pit. Now, this, I'm going to mention, I'm going to stand up for Mr. Gygax's writing here. There, there have been some contentious comments that this is not his finest work, that, uh, you know, it was a pale shadow compared to Lost Caverns of Sacanth. Honestly, I, I actually think that uh, this was not a cheap knockoff at all. This was some of his better thought-out work. Yeah. Uh, homaging uh, not only Cthulhu uh, Mythos uh, and his origin in tactical wargaming, uh, but there's another thing going on, which is true Gary Gygax. I mean, just the essence of the guy himself, uh, he was a notoriously tough DM and quite a poker face. Um, and if players dropped the ball, didn't know what they were doing, weren't on their A game, then they didn't get the prize. Okay. And it just like the chips fall where they may tough break kids. You didn't find the secret door. You don't get into the back area. You didn't solve the puzzle. Uh, you don't get through the passage. And pretty hardball by today's standards perhaps uh, but at the time it was judged a little harshly and I I didn't see it as particularly worthy of harsh judgment. I, I thought it was well, classic Gygax. And I'll, I'll give my thoughts better on Better than most. Yeah, it, it, is, it is classic Gygax and I think you're, you're right well onto something but I'm going to add this one part is that I do think that as you get into the lower levels that it is anticlimactic. And there is a certain level of frustration that, like, this is all there is. Now, getting into the lower levels requires resourcefulness. We're not going to give away all the spoilers, but it does require using certain items that are found in that very uh, secreted part of the Undertemple. Cleverly and using your resources and using your noggin to think about how you would go through approaching this almost from a ritualistic standpoint, which it is meant to be. And... There are uh, a nice, uh, in one area, there's a nice encounter with uh, these five trees. And each one has a different color corresponding to those statues for alert players to think about. So if a fighter goes to the green tree where the uh, cleric is and he takes one of the fruit from there and, and he bites into it, he immediately has to make a saving throw or they, or they're instantly turned to ash. Forever gone. Just <laughs> snuffed out. Now if they take the one from their corresponding class from the blue tree... If you're a fighter and they eat it, they gain uh, some stat points or even a level. It's random. Yeah, but uh, the positive benefits are for recognizing the rather simple 
correlation between the statue of your class uh, and the risks are for just, you know, if you randomly start to mowing down on whatever, um, <laughs> uh, you're putting yourself in considerable danger. I mean, and that's a true Gygax module, uh, much like, of course, Tomb of Horrors, where so much as poking the wrong thing can be instantaneous death. Yep. Uh, so you know that's on the table. I mean, and let, let's just be blunt. I mean, some of the other classic modules that are well-regarded, like White Plume Mountain and so on, uh, as great fun plays, were equally brutal at points. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that so I, finally I don't think getting this to the, exceptional the, in that the climax of the module, or anti-climax, is the Black Cyst. And that's where you get to see kind of where it is implied that there's a Tomb of Thresden. And, of course, it says... Specifically, no light will penetrate the area, and you have to... Touching it is bad, and if you're not wearing those robes, fancy robes you found, you're going to be taking continual damage and probably be dying fairly shortly. Um, and again, but if you manage to do all the right things, you get a small uh, bit of treasure with a, a chest trapped with no less than 60 poison needles that respond to heat. Now, if you're wearing the robes, you don't radiate heat, so you're safe. But if you, you know, made it this far and you just bare hand that thing, well, I don't know if all 66 would hit you, or 60 poison needles would hit you, but yeah, there would be definitely be a lot of saving throws in your future. I see a new player character being rolled up. Yeah, I, I don't want to poo-poo this too harshly, though. Um, the anticlimax... And here's the thing that I thought was novel. I, I did not feel offended by it. Um, it sort of represented the fact that not every mystery has a perfect conclusion. Exactly. Scooby-Doo style, where you're like, uh, you know, what do you know? It was you all along. I'd have gotten away with it, too, if it hadn't been for you darn meddling kids. You know, that that is nice, okay? That's a, that's a fun thing to do with a module, mm -hmm. uh, to have a really clear conclusion but once in a while it's nice to have a mystery that isn't solvable well and you, it also you cleared the place out you've defeated the foes you gained a lot of knowledge about something but i mean what more did you expect to conjure a deity back from beyond that has not been seen in thousands of years and then kill that too uh, you're certainly not going to do that at tenth level, so you know. Well, especially when the out. deity was so horrific, they couldn't even all the gods aligned against it could not uh, destroy it. Yeah, so it's you know one should go into it knowing that you're probably not going to meet the risen. But there was in there person. was very little resolution, and it felt many to anticlimactic. Now, especially since this was hinted at that there would be others in this series, was of course. One of the tragedies that not long after it was published and more things were going on, TSR yeah. started hitting a hard time, and the ambush at Sheridan Springs, you know a little bit about the Gygax story. He was removed from the company uh, around 85, and, you know, all the plans that had been uh, set aside or been put forward had been uh, set aside for later. They were just abandoned, and... Uh, you know, I'm not going to really, we don't have time to really discuss it overly here, but yes, it was cut short, and more is the pity, and we didn't get to see more of this. But here was a unique aspect where weird fantasy started to enter into Dungeons & Dragons. It started to work its way in, and a lot of people would point to other supplements later on in Adventures being this. I, the um, Forgotten Temple of Thrasduin was very importantly the main point where it, entered really full force into 
D&D. It wasn't just hinted at. There was insanity, <laughs> instant death all over the place in this one. And the thematic elements of nightmare and insanity that uh, many of the priests were visited by dreams that they uh, came here um and the repeated references to the atmosphere itself the uh, you know the uh colors the the shapes the you know the architecture the surroundings of the player characters putting them ill at ease uh you know yeah everything is unsettling mind. in the undertemple uh very very Cthulhu-esque. Uh, and you know, a worthy effort by Mr. Gygax. So. Now, Jim Bambra in uh, Forgotten Temple of, uh, his review of the Forgotten Temple of the Resident and White Dwarf gave it 9 out of 10 overall. And he noted that the temple is brought to light excellently and contains plenty for players to think about. Gaining entry requires good tactical play and an imaginative approach is needed to fathom out the temple's hidden secrets. However, most have said that the final moments in the Black Cyst are anticlimactic. But again, that's only in the fact that we only got to see one of this. We didn't get to see the others. Perhaps it would be anticlimactic from the singular standpoint. Like, well, now what do we do? But, you know, this game is yours. Each DM can add to it. And the history presented at gives plenty to hint at where the next episode of this, should the players want to look up more. Because they come away with a tome called The Lament for Lost Thrasden, which sells to some dicey collectors of dark occult material and you know this could have repercussions in the campaign world so oh yeah I that's mean, because... where your next hook was obviously going to be who bought that book why were they so interested in paying such a high price that you know you could almost ask nearly anything and they were like i'll meet your price <laughs> yeah uh, the the stuff that uh, legends are made of a maltese falcon kind of moment where you you know Get your Sydney Green Street type character. Ah, I'm so very glad you've obtained this. You have no idea what I've gone through to get to this day. No, uh, you you can do that with it. Uh, but in the finest tradition of the very old school of D&D, uh, so much possibility was left there for the DM to sit down, take some notes, give it a good think, and then create on their own, expand upon it, go a little further. Yeah, there's a module in Dungeon Magazine. We called... forget too often that, like the the intention behind so many modules, uh, there were little hints and opportunities left that it was really up to the DM to flesh out fully. Yeah, and there's enough here that you could go on, provided we would have liked to have seen the final script. But nonetheless, um, just like with um, Dungeon Magazine, they had an excellent adventure called Cradle of Madness. Look it up. This is a direct uh, inference to this, and it really kind of puts it into there that, you know, the cult of Thresden has been working diligently to bring back their deity and thinks they have found a new way. Very interesting and uh, good stuff, but I rather like the uh, Forgotten Temple of Thresden for its multi-layered approach, its introduction of weird fantasy elements, and for the approach of the kind of wargaming aspect of having to approach not only the uh, Norkers and uh, Ogres, Knolls, and Hill Giants as fighting forces to be overcome, but also like the Orcs and some of the side adventures in there, like you have to escort a stone giantess and her young son if he's visiting a nearby thane. And that could lead to other adventures in and of themselves. There's all there's yeah, a lot more going on here than just like not okay, every opponent is an opponent, or not every like not everything that is listed here is 
purely oppositional. There is a great deal that is interactional, uh, whether it's in the Gnome Vale or in the areas surrounding the Lost Temple of Thuriston. Any number of the encounters could easily have led to a better fleshed out, more widely developed campaign arc that could keep players busy from 5th level up to 10th. I mean, yeah, worth mentioning the wide range on level uh, in this particular module. I think is deserved more than uh, some because the potential is there to start off uh, and if the players don't mad dash their way through this uh, they could very le- they could very easily build a you know quite a series of games I mean you could you could play uh, weeks worth of sessions in these areas mm-hmm. uh, much like with Lost Caverns of Sacant it's a very it's got a lot more meat on its bones than people think of uh, from first impressions. And that, and some of the Greyhawk heavy aspects and um, references kind of turned people off. So, really, yeah, and that was one of the detriments. But you know, okay. some people like Greyhawk, some people don't. Yeah, you know, I'm a Greyhawk fan, so you know, easy sell here. Yeah, I mean, it' not a hard sell on me either. Uh, you know, Greyhawk for all of its differences uh, for all of its little flaws and quirks uh, was there first. And I mean, it remains, you know, amongst the most esteemed campaign <laughs> realms I've, I've ever played yeah. in. Yeah. You know, esteemed uh, by me. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, there's, there's obviously worlds. Uh, Traveler had a better campaign system inherently and it baked right in, you know, the, the Imperium oh, the sure. generation of things and, RuneQuest being, you know, a well-already-documented-and-researched world to start with, Glorantha. You could compare those, but that's not really what Greyhawk was. Greyhawk was simply a glimpse into other people's campaign, and initially just some fragmentary notes from the folio, and then later a bit more developed from the box set. But it was still made to be your campaign, so they were basically giving you a handoff. Like, here's stuff that a lot of our published adventures and modules use this. So, how about yeah? You got a you got a campaign setting with maps and names of places and a rough idea of like what kind of people are there, <laughs> and then you have your monster manuals, which more or less instruct you in what areas these creatures are likely to appear. Uh, <laughs> look at your map, make decisions accordingly. You know, I mean, it's not very likely that you're going to find a mountain giant uh, there in the middle of the desert. Without a darn good reason, and I'm willing to bet he'd be pretty. I don't think you're going to find a mountain giant at the bottom of the ocean. I'm just saying, maybe he might be an underwater mountain giant, but you know, bones of the drowned mountain giant. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) There were giants in the earth those days. Uh, yeah. Well, um, have a little Finding Nemo moment, (laughs) uh, swimming through his bones. But no, no. uh, The 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 point being that uh, they equipped you with a great deal of possibility Mm -hmm. and now the forgotten realms did a little bit more of a favor in terms of dropping hints all over the place to seed the imaginations of readers with well i could put something like this here and then it a little easier to flesh out uh greyhawk was a little less forgiving it actually expected you to start picking up books and filling in blanks and coming up with your own material and i approve of that I've never been in Yeah, kind of the, the attitude was given at the time was, is like, well, if you want to know what's there, you create it. Yeah. 
<laughs> try writing. I, and it was very encouraging of that ethos, which I, I can't say enough about. Well, that one of the detractions will always be that I paid for something I should be able to get my money's worth. And, you know, fair enough. But how often can it be said that, you know, here is a campaign world developed and made with uh, a lot of these modules placed in specific scope of being played in this area at that time? There wasn't well, many. Yeah, and I consider the value of having my imagination prodded into activity mm -hmm. uh, because that's basically a movie that never ends. Uh, as opposed to, you know, like, uh, are you paying for like exactly 1.5 hours of entertainment or are you, why are you not grateful that you just got a lifetime score? Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah. Cults of Prax came out, what, uh, 1981? Yeah. Something around that. And that's just like a fire hose of information. I mean, literally, <laughs> you know, it's what, almost 30, 40 years later. I know I keep asking, like, somebody's going to give me an answer. I just answer myself. Because what I don't know, I make up. Um, <laughs> thank you, David Lee Roth. Uh, but, yes, uh, yes, Cult of Prax, they're still picking material out of that stuff. I mean, it was just, you know, here's a guy who just sat down and just wrote a deeply... Detailed campaign setting. Sure, you're going to get your money's worth out of that. Greyhawk, yeah, you know, I kind of detractors on it. I'm like, hey, if that's your experience, it's kind of like whatever, man. That's just like your opinion. Big Lebowski drop. <laughs> and I'm just well placed. And, well uh, placed. But, you know, I had a lot of fun, so I don't see what the big deal is. But uh, nonetheless... Uh, yeah, we're, we are drawing close to the uh, the appropriate hour. Yeah, we're but from, we had a fine old time yeah. and no regrets. I well, mean, I it's had a lot of fun talking about Forgotten this. Temple of Thurisdon, a classic legendary module that is just a pleasure to go back through and to look at again. Uh, I'm kind of right now lamenting that I, I did not heard some uh, characters through it in in some incarnation or another in recent years, uh, and it puts me in mind of wanting to you know like run another first edition campaign. So for those listening, I I had been running a first edition campaign for years and finally came to a close and I have been studying and learning fifth edition. But uh, I, I have a heart full of hankering for some of those classic first edition modules. Yeah, so maybe Michael find himself being run through it again sometime shortly. So anyway, but we're going to uh, wind it down here. We've obviously worn out our good welcome and uh, of course your poor eardrums are tired of us droning along and rambling so we're going to just fence it in here and call it uh good uh again if you like what we talked about or if you have any questions or comments about it feel free to drop by on our facebook page the dice are screaming and give us some what for there also you can get a hold of us on twitter me at death hand gaming that's d-e-t-h-a-n-d -E gaming and myself at Magi Vox, M-A-G-I-V-O-X. And you can talk to us directly, or just leave us a message on the Anchor app. And uh, that aforementioned device, free and easy to use. Let us know what you think, and uh, keep those comments coming in. But remember, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.